everybody. Welcome to What's Up with Pastor Chuck. And I am really excited about today. I guess I get excited about a lot of things, but let me tell you how excited I am about today. I woke up at 5 a.m. counting down the time till I could get to be with our guest who's with us today. And I know this, you're about to be blessed. Uh, you're about to be uh, stretched. You're about to be energized and uh, you're going to be encouraged. For sure, you're going to be encouraged. Uh, and that is because we're getting ready to start a brand new series called Get in the game and, and get in the game means take the gift that God's given you, uh, uh, identify the destiny God has for you, and then go out and make differences in the world because God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life and God has gifted you to fulfill that purpose. So this is all about finding ways to help you get better and better and better uh, and using the gift God gave you to make a difference in the world. And one of the people without a doubt who can help you do that is Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee, uh, was an award-winning journalist for in Chicago. Uh, uh, Lee ended up coming from atheism to Christ. There's a movie about his life called The Case uh, for Christ, which I would encourage you to see. Uh, it streams now. You can go watch it on multiple platforms. It's really good. He also wrote a book called The Case for Christ, another book called The Case for Faith, and now is leading a program at Colorado Christian University where you could actually get a degree in apologetics. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But what I want you to do right now is uh, get ready uh, on the chat. You can do it however you want to do it. Welcome, Lee Strobel. Be with you, my friend. I am so excited. I really did wake up at almost five in the morning. About, I'm excited <laughs> about this. That's awesome. I was just getting to bed at 5 a.m. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, are you finding uh, during this crisis, I, you told me you're working harder than ever. Are you finding yeah. it harder to turn it off and rest? Yeah, in a sense. I mean, it, because we're all working from home, um, it be, everything blends together. And so you're kind of working almost 24-7. The, the days and nights kind of blend together. And uh, you have to kind of make a conscious effort to get a good night's sleep. Uh, and uh, so I, I try to do that. But um, I've just found myself to be probably busier now than I have been in years. Yeah, I am too. And I found myself not knowing when to stop. Because yeah. most of what I do is at home. And all of a sudden I look over and it's like, wow, I should have been home now, except I am. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get your take on this. The world is crazy. A year ago, none of us saw this coming. Uh, I think if anybody had said it was going to come, we would have not believed that life would be like it is. Um, you know, knowing you're an apologist, knowing you have a journalism background, what is your take on what's happening in the world today? What are some thoughts you have? Well, yeah, we see on a, a different levels a lot of turmoil uh, internationally, globally, and not just with the pandemic, but with social unrest and so forth. Uh, we still see the um, persecution of the church internationally to be uh, at alarming levels um, in many places in the world. That's always a concern. It's something we need to keep in our prayers. Uh, in, in the United States, of course, the uh, uh, COVID situation has disrupted lives and um, caused a lot of pain and suffering and, and death and um, uh, economic uh, turmoil for individuals. It's been, a, it's been, as you everybody knows, a really tough road. Now, I think that that does, I think, open up people spiritually uh, perhaps more than they have been. I know at our church, uh, normally at Easter, we'd have uh, about 45,000 people live at our services, but we had over 150, I think it was, thousand 
live uh, on um, uh, our platforms on the Internet uh, during the crisis because we couldn't have people gather physically. Well, that's reaching a whole bunch more people than we normally would have reached. And Greg Laurie made an interesting observation. He said, you know, churches have been trying for years to try to figure out how do we reach young people? Well, who, who's the most technologically savvy? It's young people. Yeah. And so hopefully the demographic of people online who are accessing spiritual material uh, is skewing toward younger people, which would be very encouraging. But, you know, I, I think the trend in America in terms of uh, the church scene uh, has uh, you know, a lot of yellow flags, a lot of even red flags going on. We, you know, recently the Southern Baptists released their annual figures and it showed that they had the single biggest decline uh, in over 100 years uh, in terms of membership, in terms of baptisms. It's down uh, by 4%. Um, uh, a study that was done in October by the Pew Research folks uh, showed that only 65% of Americans identify themselves as being Christians these days. And the number of people who fall into the category of no religious affiliation, which would include atheists, agnostics, and pe people who, who just are an affiliate, they, they believe in God maybe, but they're not affiliated with the church. That has grown to 26% of the population. Wow. Uh, that's an all-time high. So those are concerns. I think we have to look at why that is and how we as followers of Christ can respond to that. So why would you say that is? Because interestingly, we're seeing a rise in the mental health crisis, a lowering yes. of faith, uh, which I believe are linked, by the way. Um, but why do you think it's happening? Yeah, I, I, you know, one one factor, I think I, uh, I see a parallel between the increasing number of fatherless families in America and the increase in spiritual skepticism. Um, you know, there was a book done by Dr. Paul Vitz, who's a, a Ph.D. at New York University a few years ago called Faith of the Fatherless, in which he analyzes the lives of famous atheists through history. Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, Freud, Voltaire, Wells, Feuerbach, uh, O'Hare, and every single one of them had a father who, even who either died when they were young, divorced their mother when they were young, or with whom they had a very difficult relationship. And the implication of that is that um, um, why would people want to know a heavenly father if their earthly father had disappointed or hurt them? And so, um, you know, I, I think there is something to this father wound issue that even in my own life, you know, I, I became an atheist uh, largely due to uh, uh, skepticism about the facts of um, uh, history and the church and so forth. But I can't rule out the fact that I had a very difficult relationship with my father and um, that may have, you know, nudged me down the road of atheism. By the way, C.S. Lewis had a wonderful antidote for this issue. He said, uh, imagine what the perfect father would be like. He'd be loving. He'd be kind. He'd be gracious. He'd be an encourager. He'd be your biggest cheerleader. He said, OK, imagine what the perfect father would be like. That is your heavenly father. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, people think the, the, our heavenly father is going to be just a magnification of an earthly father. And, and that's not true. Uh, he is fundamentally different. And so we have to recognize that. So I think, you know, I, I think the fact that we have this fatherless families, uh, is that contributing to the violence in our society? I think so. Is it contributing to spiritual skepticism? I think so. But a friend of mine um, um, who's written a lot of books, Nancy Piercy, Oh, who yeah. used to write a lot with Chuck Colson. You may remember her name. She said something interesting. I, I wrote it down here. It's, uh, she said, 
In studies asking why young people left their family religion, their most frequent response was unanswered doubts and questions. The researchers were surprised. They expected to hear stories of broken relationships and wounded feelings. But the top reason given by young adults was that they did not get answers to their questions. And so I think that points toward the need for churches and individual Christians to be able to share not just what we believe, but why we believe it and give answers to the tough questions of faith that come up. Yeah, you know, uh, my son does ministry. And one of the things he started doing that I thought was so incredible is he took fourth and fifth graders and he told them, it's okay if you have doubts. It's okay if you have questions. Talk to me. And they all did. All of the yeah. fourth and fifth grade, but they never felt yeah. it was safe. You know, like they, they were all looking at each other like, can we actually say we're not sure this is true? Yeah. And then he uh, took the reason for God by um, Tim Keller and yes. he used that to help teach them there were reasons to believe. But I yeah. think what you're saying is true. Is It's not even safe sometimes to say I don't believe. It's not safe sometimes That's- to say I have doubts. That is exactly right. In fact, they did a study. Dave Kinnaman did a study, and he asked um, 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 people who had been part of the church but had left the church between the ages of 18 and 26 and uh, asked them why they left. And one of the top six reasons that they left the church is because they said it's not a safe place to express doubt. Wow. So. We need to have church, good for your son, that, that's a fantastic ministry approach. We need to create churches where it's safe to express doubts. We need to create families where it's safe. We need to create small groups where it's safe. We need to create um, a Christian schools where it's safe to express doubt. Um, I, I think that's key. Yeah, and I'm positive you're going to say this. We also have to be a place to be, let people express doubt. But we also have to be a place where we've trained people to give answers. Yes, yeah, was, exactly. I mean, there, because there are good answers to the tough questions of faith. I did a book called The Case for Faith, where I did a national survey, and I asked a cross-section of Americans, if you could ask God any one question, and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask him? And I took the top, top six questions that people would ask God, and I wrote this book called The Case for Faith, where I interviewed experts on each of one of these issues. And um, you know, what I found, and I found in my own journey as an atheist, that there are good answers, I believe, to the toughest questions of life and faith, that Christianity doesn't shy away. You know, and, and here's the thing. Um, you know, when, when John the Baptist um, got imprisoned and began to have hesitations about the identity of Jesus, uh, what did he do? He sought answers. He sought, uh, sent some friends, go ask Jesus. Are you the one we've been waiting for? We're going to wait for somebody else. And so they asked Jesus that, and Jesus didn't get angry. He didn't say, how dare John express a hesitation about my identity? He said, uh, quote, go back to John and tell him about what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the, uh, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, go back and tell John about the uh, evidence that you've seen with your own eyes that convinces you that I am the one I claim to be. So Jesus didn't get angry at John. He didn't, he didn't um, um, uh, criticize John for daring to ask a question. He provided evidence, just as he did to Thomas. Uh, you know, put, put their fingers in, my, in, in the holes in my hand and, and the hole in my side if, you, if it's what it takes to convince you. So, uh, you know, God doesn't get angry when we have questions. I think he uh, would much rather us pursue the answers um, and, and look at the evidence. 
Yeah, and I believe without a doubt that deepens your faith in the end. Like, I, I don't yeah. think we should be afraid of the questions. Um, yes. And we shouldn't be afraid of the discussion or the dialogue uh, because I don't know, how, you know, I don't know how you are, but I do better when I'm in the midst of those situations having to really work hard on it. And later on, I own it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, I remember when I was a, um, a new Christian, uh, I was a volunteer at our church. And uh, people would submit cards uh, with um, questions on them or things like that. And so one day I was assigned this card by a 13-year-old girl that had written in and said um, she had questions. So I called her up and she said, um, um, hey, my, my dad and I um, live together in a nearby town. We have a bunch of questions about faith. Would you and your wife come over and talk to us about God? So of course. So Leslie and I went over to their apartment. And as we walked in, I saw on the dining room table a stack of scholarly books attacking Christianity. And it turns out her dad was a scientist who had spent years reading books attacking Christianity. So we sat down for pizza and we spent hours talking about uh, questions and doubts that he had. And frankly, he had some questions that I had no idea how to answer. And at the end, I said, sir, you've raised some great questions. I just don't think that um, you've raised for the first time in history a question to destroy the Christian faith. So let me do some research and see if I can respond to some of these questions you've raised. And so I got to admit, this kind of sent a bit of a tremor through my faith because I, he's asking me things I had no idea about. So I did the research and what did I find? There were answers to every single question that he raised. And what did that do for me? Number one, it deepened my faith, as you said. Yep. And then number two, it equipped me so that now, if you ask me one of the questions he asked me, I could give you the answer. So being in this fray of the marketplace of ideas, I think is healthy. I think one of the trends in the church that is the most healthy and encouraging is that many churches are starting small groups for non-believers, led by a Christian couple, with half a dozen non-believers, and they get together once a week or whatever they decide upon to have a conversation about faith. And the role of the Christian is not to just sit there and answer questions. In fact, we actually train them not to give answers, but to ask further questions and to, uh, and to elicit a conversation. And that uh, over time, uh, sort of the light of discovery goes on and people end up understanding. So, for instance, give you an example. The question I asked in my survey, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer, what would you ask him? So if you ask that in the group and somebody says, um, um, I'd ask, why does God allow pain and suffering? Yep. Yeah. Well, we train the leader. Don't give a five point sermon on why God allows pain and suffering. Ask a follow up question. And the follow-up question would be, wow, of all the questions in the universe, why did he ask that one? And then it gets to the heart issue. Now they'll say, well, because um, we lost a child in childbirth five years ago, and I want to know where was God in the face of that. Or my wife's been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I want to know where's God in light of that. Now we're getting to the real issue. Now we're getting to the emotional issue. And, you know, often people don't need a five-point sermon on why God allows pain and suffering, although we can do that. What they need is someone to put their arm around their shoulder and to be Jesus to them. And so what we did, we started these groups in Chicago in the 1990s, and pretty soon we had 1,100 non-believers in these groups. Whoa. And we, Whoa. Yeah, and we tracked them over a period of years. And what we discovered is that if a non-believer joined one of these groups and stayed in it, 
80% came to faith in Christ. Wow. I mean, that's an incredible uh, percentage. So I, I encourage every church to start these groups. In fact, we have a course uh, that you can take at Colorado Christian University through online services to learn how to lead these courses. And um, we really believe they have um, a great relevance today because young people want to talk about their opinions. Uh, in this day of Wikipedia, we all think we're experts. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, why not create a converse, a safe place, like you said, uh, Chuck, a safe place to talk about your doubts and to discuss your feelings and, and why you believe or you don't believe. And we just found they're gangbusters. Once you get people talking, it's really hard to stop them. Yeah, you know what's so interesting to me? I believe um, subjectively, but I think we're going to find out it proven true, that the coronavirus has opened people up more to spiritual conversations, wanting yes. to know more. Um, and uh, the other thing, I, there actually was a study done on college and high school students, and they found they're very, very spiritual. It wasn't yes. the spirituality was off uh, limits. They wanted to talk about it. The problem was, where were, like you said, where were they getting their information? That's true. And, and when you know, when you say 26 percent of Americans uh, are now uh, in the unaffiliated or none, N-O-N-E, nuns, you know, group, uh, people think, oh, that means they're atheists. That's not true. Most of them believe in God. They are spiritual, um, but they're not um, they're not affiliating with what we would consider to be mainstream Christianity. And so I think our task as followers of Christ is to point to um, the truth of the Christian faith. Uh, but to do it with love, you know, uh, apologists or people who defend the faith like to use the verse 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Uh, but they forget the last part, which says, but do it with gentleness and respect. And both of those are important. We need to, both elements of 1 Peter 3.15 need to be lived out, where we point people toward the truth of the Christian faith, but we do it with, with gentleness and respect. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to reach way back in the past, but um, there was a woman named Ann Kimmel. I don't know if you remember her. Um, anyway, she, she wrote a whole bunch of books and stuff. But Ann was amazing at sharing her faith, but she did exactly what you said. She always asked questions. And yeah. so when someone made a statement, she got all excited because she genuinely wanted to know about them. Yes. <laughs> so she built yeah. a bridge that way and uh, was able to, she ended up leading people who were far from God to God, but it all started with, hey, I care enough about you to want to know what you're thinking. Yeah. What does that say to people? It says, I respect you. I validate you as a human being who's made in the image of God, who matters to the Father. Um, and so, you know, we want to have a dialogue, not a monologue. Uh, we want to empathize with people. We want to be able to affirm those things that they believe that we would also believe and, and say, yeah, I'm with you on that. But here's some differences. Here's some reasons why I might believe something a little bit different. But um, it, it, it's all part of a relationship, a friendship that has no strings attached. I'll be your friend whether you come to faith in Christ ever or not, um, because I care about you and uh, God cares about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things I think I'd love to hear your 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 take on this. I think the majority of people who've rejected Christianity have rejected it, but they don't understand. They, they have a false belief about what we believe. Yes. Um, yes. I just watched a film where a person rejected Christianity over the sovereignty of God, but what they voiced wasn't actually the doctrine, the correct doctrine. So they kind of made up their own doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Then they rejected him. 
But I'm like, that's not the sovereignty of God. That's not the correct teaching. Yeah, you know, Jay Kessler, a great Christian uh, guy, he was president of Taylor University. Uh, he once said, uh, t uh, tell me about the God you don't believe in, because I probably don't believe in him either. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Which I thought was a great line, because, you know, yeah. so many people have misconceptions about God, and that's what they're rejecting and say, wait a minute, you know, you're free to reject God. Um, but, you know, make sure you're rejecting the real God, uh, yeah. the God who loves you, the God who sent his son to die for you, the God who offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. Make sure it's that God you understand, because I think the more we understand about his, God, his character, his love for us, uh, the more winsome that becomes, the more attracted we are to that. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think that really is true. And so, you know, one of the things that um, I wanted to have you talk to us about is the program you have at Colorado Christian University would be able to equip people. So when people do have doubts, matter of fact, if someone had a doubt, it wouldn't be idea to, a bad idea to take the course, too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. But when they do have doubts to be able to give good answers. And yes. so you guys have a bachelor's and a master's. Yeah, we do. Um, we have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree that people can take in uh, one of four concentration areas, either evangelism uh, or um, world religions, um, um, cultural apologetics, which looks at issues like uh, same-sex marriage and gender issues and, and abortion and, and controversies and uh, so forth. Uh, so there are different concentrations you can go in. But um we, you can just, a lot of people, I think, these days, just want to take a couple of courses. They're not, they may already have a degree. They're not interested in another degree. But they'd like to sign up and to take a course. Let me just uh, mention a few courses that we're debuting uh, this fall, and people can sign up for them now. Uh, we have courses in, um, I'll just, we have 30 different ones. I won't mention them all. I'll mention a few. We have a course on atheism understand what atheists believe or don't believe and how to respond to them. Uh, of course, on C.S. Lewis and his teachings. Of course, on Islam. How can we as Christians uh, engage meaningfully with Muslims? Uh, of course, on religious doubt. How can we help people who have religious doubt? Of course, on objections to Christianity. Of course, on world religions. Uh, of course, on a science and faith, uh, you know, where does science point? So there's a variety of different courses that people can take. They can sample a few, as I say, or, or pursue a degree. Uh, if they, uh, all they have to do is go to Strobel Center, which is all one word, S-T-R-O-B-E-L center.com, and it'll automatically take you over to Colorado Christian University where you can access all the material. Um, but I, I was, Chuck, I was mentioning to you earlier before we started speaking on camera that um, these are designed, these courses are 100% online. So it's perfect for the pandemic era. And uh, they're fully accredited. We have 40 PhDs who've created these courses. And um, the courses are only five weeks each. So let's say you take a course on science and faith. Uh, for five weeks, once a week, you meet uh, on a Zoom call with your professor and with other people in the class, have a discussion, and you uh, do readings and you do papers and things like that, and, and you, you get three credit hours after five weeks of work. Uh, but it's designed for people who are already working a full-time job. 
so, you know, people who say, golly, I'm awfully busy with work and so forth. You know, if you can spare a little time to take a couple of courses, I think you'll really find it stimulating and you'll find that you're equipped and you're more willing to get into a spiritual conversation because you feel more confident to engage with people. Yeah, and I would say if you're out there saying, I don't have time, um, I know that the reality is if you just got disciplined and carved out the amount of time, you, yeah. you would get through it and you'd get a lot yeah. out of it, a lot out of it. Uh, and you really do. Yeah, and so that's what I had to do to get my master's. I was still working full time, still being uh, all my life, but I just had to say, okay, these hours I'll dedicate and I'll get through yeah. it. And, and, I, and I ended up loving it. Yeah, I, that's what people find is they get into it. And, you know, um, I was skeptical at first when we started this program about online learning. But we have up-to-date technology that is very engaging. And uh, what people find is that it's, a, it's an incredibly um, – um, uh, what's the word I want to use? It, it just pulls you in. And you feel completely part of the class. And um, it's a wonderful experience. Um, and, and, and so I encourage people, give it a try. Take a course. See what you think. It could be on the master's level, as I say, or on the bachelor's level. And uh, pretty soon we're going to be launching our certificate level, which oh. is uh, uh, kind of a, uh, uh, courses for people that uh, have no intention of pursuing a degree, but they'd like to get maybe a certificate, kind of a credential. Because one of the things we believe in our center is we have a, we have a, a six-stage process for churches to become more effective in evangelism. And one of those stages is we believe every church should have one person, whether they're full-time, part-time, or volunteer, but just one person whose full-time focus uh, in their role is uh, evangelism. Uh, not that they do evangelism for the church. They tr they help train the entire church in evangelism. They help create events and ministries that can reach out to the community. And we want to train those point leaders, those evangelism point leaders. And so, you know, if someone's listening, they say, man, you know, I have a passion for seeing people come to faith. I'd love to be a volunteer leader at a church or a full time. I, I had a guy call me recently. He's a consultant with churches. He said, Lee, I've got three churches today that are looking to hire full time evangelism point leaders. They Whoa. just don't they, they say, I don't know where to find them. Well, we want to create them. And it's a it's a great ministry opportunity for people that have a desire to be that key person in a local church to uh, instigate and to ignite the church in effective evangelism. I love that. And, you know, uh, before we uh, got together on camera, we talked, I felt like that the number one reason people don't say yes to Jesus is no one ever shares Jesus with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And, and sometimes, you know, you take a deep breath and, 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 you know, you're scared. Uh, I, uh, my, my buddy, Mark Middleberg and I were once talking with Luis Palau. And Luis, one of the great evangelists in the world, he's probably shared his faith with literally a billion people around the planet because he does these huge events around the world. And uh, we said, Luis, when you share your faith one-on-one -on -one with someone, do you get nervous? He said, every single time. We all do. We, yeah, have oh, yeah. we all have problems with sweat because we know how important this is. But, you know, you, you take a deep breath and you say a quick prayer and you open your mouth. You kind of let it out. I remember when I was a new Christian, I was still a newspaper editor in Chicago. And uh, my boss came up to me one day and said, man, you really it was a hectic day, but you really kept it together. Uh, I understand you're a Christian because he had 
invited me to golf on Sunday morning, and I said, well, I, have to, <laughs> I need to go to church. So he said, I understand you're Christian. Is there a connection? And I had never shared my faith at that point before, and I was scared. And I just, I kind of took a deep breath and said, well, do you really want to know? He said, yeah. I said, well, let's go in your office. We went into his office. We closed the door. I talked for about 45 minutes about Jesus, and it was probably the most inept um, uh, spiritual conversation ever conducted. I didn't know what I was doing. I was untrained. I was a loose cannon. I did my best. But I'll tell you what, I walked out of that office after 45 minutes and it was as if my entire life up until that meeting was a motion picture filmed in black and white on 16 millimeter with <laughs> scratchy sound. But that 45 minutes was like Technicolor with Dolby stereo. And I said to God, God, I want more of that in my life. And that really I ended up leaving journalism to spend the best hours of my day sharing Jesus with people. So um, um, although you don't have to leave your career to do that, obviously, there's a lot of people in journalism that need Jesus. Uh, but that was the calling God gave me. But um, uh, I guess my point is we're all nervous mm -hmm. and um, sometimes we, we feel we're inept. I remember the first time I ever gave a quote unquote sermon. I was in India. And um, I was just a, a reporter doing some articles about a Christian organization. And um, we were doing just a little small event in a, in a village uh, at noon. And there were only 25 people there because uh, it was hot. And um, the pastor didn't show up. And, and they looked at me and said, you're up. What do you mean? I never gave a sermon before. I'm just who I, I, I yeah. So I, I stood up and I gave probably the most inept of angels <laughs> ever delivered. And at the end of it, I said, I know if you come to faith in Christ, you may be rejected by your village. You may lose your spouse. You may, I understand that. And, and, and so I'm just going to pray here for a moment. And I want you to think about it. We're going to play a little song. And, and, and if you, if you do want to come to faith, just step forward. And so no kidding. I closed my eyes and my prayer was, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm a nobody. I was an atheist a short time ago. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sure I messed this up. If you just let me out of here alive, I'll never do this again. And then I opened my eyes and 12 people had walked forward. Wow. And we baptized them in the Krishna River. And within six months, I had left my journalism career and uh, took a 60% pay cut and joined the staff of a church. And my life had changed. But um, was I nervous? Absolutely. But did it change my life? Absolutely. And uh, we, sometimes we just have to take a risk. In fact, here's a resource for people um, you may not know about. Uh, my buddy Mark Middleberg and I did a devotional called uh, The Unexpected Adventure. Oh, and it's okay. 40 days. And each day we tell a story from our life. Often it's a funny story about messing up and sharing our faith, or it's a story like I just told about the Indian incident, and uh, and then some teaching and scripture, and 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 um, um, so every day it's just like a ten-minute reading, and the idea is to increase your uh, um, the want-to factor, you know, to increase your desire to share your faith and to share some skill ideas that can develop that. So it's a forty-two-day. Uh, six-week um, devotional called The Unexpected Adventure. And uh, we had a lot of fun putting that together. Some of the stories are kind of embarrassing. but 
it was worth it. Okay, that sounds really, really good. The Unexpected Adventure. They could get it on Amazon, I assume. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You know, it's interesting when you study the New Testament, which you do, uh, the term filled with the Spirit. Every yeah. time it's used, then the next thing that happens is somebody speaks. Yeah. That's really, it's you can't miss it. So all yeah. the times it says it, which is quite a few, it says yeah. they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke, or Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and she spoke, or uh, in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. So where I'm going with that is I agree with you. We all get nervous. We have that nervous moment. But if we open our mouth, is that when the filling comes? And so I don't know, does the filling come because we speak or do we speak because the filling comes? And I think it's both. I think it's both. I always whisper, at least in my mind, a quick prayer. Uh, and, and even if it's on the spot, just say, God, give me the words. God, help me know what to say. And, and anybody who shared their faith on a periodic basis will agree that there are times when you pray a prayer like that and you open your mouth and you begin to speak and you think, where did that come from? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not that smart or, or I, I didn't. And, and God just provides the words. If we're willing to submit to him, if we're willing to open our mouth, God will give us the words. And, um, and, and even if the conversation doesn't go anywhere, you don't know the kind of seeds that you planted for that person. Uh, that could grow into faith years later. Um, I've had so many people have written to me over the years and said, you shared Jesus with me 20 years ago, and I wasn't ready. But um, since then, I've come to faith. I just want to let you know it, and how their life has changed. So um, you're right. I think there's that, there's that spiritual moment when we're, we're willing to obey by opening our mouth and speaking. And God will, through his spirit, give us the words to say. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's what our whole get in game series is about. Matter of fact, I think you'll like this. We're going to ask everybody in Crossroads to uh, film uh, uh, about five to seven minutes of their testimony and then Great. post it with the hashtag Excellent. get in the game. And uh, and so they just can have fun with it. But I think that lots of their friends will go watch. And uh, I think a lot of them will share what's said. Uh, and just get people in the whole idea is almost like turning the, the spigot open and let them have some flow so they can get good at it and keep going. That's an awesome, awesome idea. By the way, when I was at Crossroads, uh, I've only spoken once there, but it was on a Thursday, as I recall. And um, uh, it, it was I'll never forget that service. I mean, that was awesome. Uh, what a great church. I mean, I was just energized spiritually by what was going on in that place. So I, I, I look back fondly on that, uh, that time with you. But, um, but I think that is a one, and we've done that at our church. In fact, we had a, a camera crew come and we set up a thing in the lobby so people could come and, and, and just film it on the spot. But, um, you know, to, to take the time and to, to, to write it out, not that you're going to read it necessarily, but to think through how can I share in three minutes or so, three to four minutes, yeah. um, you know, basically, um, uh, you know, what was my life before Christ, how I met him and how he's changed my life. Yep. And and to be able to post that on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And, uh, you, you know, God will use it. God will use it when we take those kind of risks. Yeah, by the way, I, when you came, I just felt like we were immediately friends. Uh, the yeah, and you just too. fit the church and the church, I loved you. And, um, uh, and we get you back next year, I think, for the Case for Miracles. 
Yeah. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. That's my new book, The Case for Miracles, looking at the evidence for God's uh, miracles uh, today. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're aware of it, but just recently, since the book has come out, just in the last few months, uh, we've had two um, articles published in peer-reviewed scientific journals, case studies of apparent miracles that Ooh. are absolutely mind-blowing. And we're, what we're seeing is increasingly scientific method being used to investigate apparent miracles. Not that science can prove a miracle, but if all the evidence points in the direction of a miracle, it's rational to believe that God has intervened. And so we're seeing, I'll, I'll talk about that in my talk at your church uh, uh, on, on some of these recent uh, developments in these peer-reviewed journals. Well, I'll tell you, I hope it's going to be the case that you can actually travel and be here. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I hope so, too. Yeah. But no matter what, uh, we we want you here next year, and uh, we I want people to get to hear from you. They could buy the book now, though, The Case for Miracles. Yes. The Unexpected yeah. Journey. Unexpected Adventure. Adventure. Unexpected. I'm sorry. Yeah. Unexpected Adventure. If they search Lee Strobel, they'll find those. And, yeah. um, and, and can't wait to have you back. But I thank you for being here with me. I've enjoyed it, man. I, me too. And so Crossroads family, I want you to know we feel a partnership with Lee and with Colorado Christian university, uh, in the apologetics program that he's launched. And we would love for you guys to right now, even, uh, go to the Strobel center is what I caught. Yep. And, uh, dot com. And then by the way, we'll make sure we get that word out so everybody can do that. But Lee, thank you very much. And, uh, God bless you. And, have a good time, uh, uh, what God ever, whatever you're doing next. I appreciate that. I appreciate your prayers. I'm working on a new book right now and kind of in a tough writing season. So, uh, you know, that's always challenging, but, you know, God always comes through. So that's the fun part. All right. Well, thanks again, and God bless you. You too. All right. And everybody on watching still, I want to say to you guys that we, um, am I still on? Okay, I'm going to, this is a, uh, uh, this is a, a authenticity moment. Sorry. <laughs> okay. How professional are we? But anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. Hey, this weekend, we're going to talk about how you get in the game, how you share your testimony. Lee already gave you most of it, but I can't wait for you to have it. But again, I want to remind you, uh, the idea of educating yourself, the idea of the incredible things you'd learn at Colorado Christian University would really be beneficial. So pray about it. This is a good season to do an online course. And uh, I really believe the quality is going to be amazing when you go and do that. So for all of you who've been with us today, uh, man, take care. We'll see you Wednesday. We'll see you Sunday. God bless you guys.